Hey everyone, you're with Dig A Little Deeper and uh, great to be back with you and I'm excited about what we're going to cover in the podcast. Uh, what do you think, Levi? I think it's going to be a great one and hey, I can't just say it must be time that we got another thoughtful question filled email oh yeah there is nothing we like better oh yeah here at dig a little deeper it, it does really inspire us to think about things that are maybe outside of our normal scope so yeah and it's great it's also great to hear what you guys are thinking about what we're speaking about yeah yeah so, <laughs> so feedback of any hello is anyone out there <laughs> feedback of any kind and thank be great. you for all the feedback we are getting yeah we do really appreciate awesome. it we really do but if you haven't yet if you haven't yet send us an email or uh left us some feedback somewhere make sure you do that yep hey yep. today i've heard you speak more than once recently along the thought line of us having and by us i mean the church having a strong theology, but a weak anthropology. Can you talk to that? Where's that coming from? Yeah, look, when we say we the church, I, I think I'm meaning, again, our little grain of sand in the night sky, you know, using the telescope uh, example. Um, but in our, wor- you know, our little world, uh, I think we've had really a focus on theology. We've studied God, studied God, wanting to understand God, and that is all really noble and appropriate. But we've largely ignored anthropology, you right. know, the study of of man. You know, I mean, technically, the study of human biological, f- physiological characteristics and their evolution, quote unquote. And and I'd like to say straight up front, whether you believe uh, human physicality has evolved or not, you cannot deny that human thought has. Yeah, sure. And, and so. Um, I remember years ago hearing great quote and it simply categorized the church and it said the church is God and people, Mm. you know, nothing more, nothing less. It's just God and people. That's what the church is. So, um, you know, it it sort of would be remiss of us not to probably study people uh, as much as we study God, I think. You know, now that, you know, I know some people will shout me down on that, but I, I just think that's what we need to do. And the fact is the Bible speaks about both. You know, right. so Bible has an anthropology and, and sociology. So, you know, the anthropology is the how, how man has developed and grown and really sociology is the way man interacts. And, of course, these are really, really pertinent questions for for believers, you know, um, and certainly for church leaders. Um, yeah. And does, does it affect the way that we read Scripture? Yeah, it, of course it does. And, and look, when I say anthropology, I'm probably not talking, when you talk about the Bible and anthropology, probably not talking about like a formal scientific sense, um, but really certainly in an observational sense, like Scripture is a great observer of humanity. Uh, and of sociology. And I think because of that, you know, that's a large part of how scientific study works anyway, is through observation. So I'm not trying to say the Bible's a science book. What I'm saying is the Bible, uh, it has something to say to anthropology and sociology because it's a great observer of humanity. Right. Yeah. Uh, And yes, it does really affect our reading of scripture. I mean, I think we can approach scripture sometimes with some false assumptions like, um, you know, if it's in the Bible, it must be right. You know, the moral sense. So if it's in the Bible, it must be right. And we put all scripture on one flat level of equal value and of, uh, of all coming from the mouth of God. That kind of, we don't, we don't recognize the polyphony of voices, the di- different voices of scripture. Um, and ma- many of the lessons contained and the characters portrayed in scripture are the antithesis 
of what is right. Right. So when we just sort of assume, well, everything in the Bible is right, it's well, like... Well, slaves are in the Bible, so <laughs> yeah, that means everyone can have slaves. That's it. Or and you can be married to a thousand people in the Bible. That must be a healthy way to conduct yeah, a relationship. That's right. And and that's what why we've got to get the humanity of it right. And another false assumption, I think, can be that if it's in the Bible, it must be God's will. And, you know, I think in evangelical circles, we've particularly, we've largely portrayed it that way. You know, we go to the Bible for the for the answers and yes, yes, we do. And, but it's like the Bible's a big book of all the right answers. But actually, sometimes that answer is in seeing the way things are not meant to be. Right. And we've got to be able to discern that just because a, a particular image is portrayed in scripture doesn't mean that that's what God wants. I mean, for example, uh, I think every time Jesus said, if you look at it, you've heard it said, but I say to you, in other words, correcting the, the thought of his day, he's generally correcting their incorrect assumptions about what scripture was revealing, either about the nature of God or their own humanity. Um, so, you know, the Bible's about people too, really. Um, and we see that humanity everywhere. Yeah. You know, I mean, think of King David. You know, we lift him up for, for all the great attributes of courage and leadership and integrity. I, th- I think of him uh, in the cave when he could have taken advantage of Saul. He could have killed Saul. He had great opportunity. He cuts the corner off his robe and then he's grieved in heart and even confesses to the king, risks his life because he just recognizes the position of the king. You know, even if he couldn't respect the man, and I'm not sure whether he did, I know he grieved his death. But he recognised that somehow he'd stepped out of out of line, and so the tremendous integrity and courage in David, um, and obviously also you know him leading as a king, and so many of the things he did right, establishing a kingdom with, with you know a great amount of righteous rule. Um, but then we also focus on his dark side, you know, like David in the time that kings go to war. It says, we know what David did instead. You know, he's sleeping with his neighbor's wife and not only his neighbors. I mean, one of his mighty men, Mm. you know, so a guy had already risked his life for David and got him to the throne. And now David's betraying him. And, you know, it says there in the time kings go to war. So there's this hint that David had become somehow self-satisfied or entitled, which I think is probably it's the root of all sin is entitlement. Mm. The minute we get a sense of entitlement, we're sailing towards sin. And, um, you know, often we hold these two characters apart. And we kind of focus on the one who suits our narrative at the time. You know, so if it's like we need a champion and a hero, we preach the good part of David. If we need to warn people about the consequences of your sin, uh, then we preach his dark side. Uh, But we can't do that because ultimately he's a paradox. Mm. You know, he's all that's good about being human at the same time as being all that's bad about him being right. human. Um, and yet scriptures, you know, scripture qualifies him as a man after God's own heart, but he's doing the wrong thing at the same time. Yeah, and I guess we can see that kind of paradox in, you know, in leaders in every season, can't we? Oh, for sure. You know, I think we obviously don't really take that lesson to heart, what we see in David. When we we miss the humanity of it and sometimes we just skip over it, it doesn't suit the narrative, we, we sweep it under the rug and pull it out for a day, a dark day when we need something. But ultimately, 
I don't know whether we've taken the lesson to heart simply because of the way that we tend to react, and by we I mean the church, mm. you know, we tend to react when a, a high-profile leader falls in our world and, and we all seem shocked. Right. And it's like, it, it, yeah, it doesn't excuse the behaviour. There's no excuse for bad behaviour, but it's like why would we be shocked? Yeah, yeah. If, if we learnt from David and from Scripture, if we had an anthropology and we actually looked at what the Bible was saying about us as human beings, we'd go, that's a real shame. He had a good run, mm. but for the grace of God, go I. Right. That yeah. is the proper reaction. Um, but somehow I think we get so enamoured by the giftedness, particularly of great leaders and their success, and and we sort of forget for a moment that they're human and that's when the knives come out, and that's the weird bit because that's when we sin. You know, when when the the onlookers begin to sin, is you know, it's when we are, we're actually acting like we're qualified to cast the first stone when we do that. So you know, discipline of leaders who fail that should happen, it must happen. But why Christians want to drag it to the court of public appeal, especially Christians doing that before an unbelieving world, as Paul says, don't do. I mean. I just don't understand that element. Um, and uh, really, ultimately, we shouldn't be shocked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll be disappointed. We always will be. But if we had a probably a clearer and a more realistic image of the way the Bible portrays people, even great people, it would explain a lot of yeah. the contradictions of our world. <laughs> So the Bible's not just a revelation about God. I guess it's a revelation about people too. Yeah, yeah. Humanity, frailty, struggle, joy, misunderstanding. I mean, everything's there. And I guess it's it's cool though that, you know, in spite of all of that, God still works with us and works with us and I guess you could yeah. say puts up with us. Like you do wonder yeah, how yeah. he does do that. Yeah, why is God still on this journey with me? Um and the fact is if we if we're gonna have an ounce of humility, we should all ask that question. We should have already asked it by now. If you've been journeying with God for a while, it should be, my, my goodness, God, I don't know how you put up with me. But the fact is we see everywhere in Scripture God meets us where we think he is and where we're at, and he just leaves a better story. He takes us to a better place, you know. And I think without, you know, when you see humanity in Scripture, one of the problems that we can get is we get trapped by static appropriation of stories, not understanding historic arc in this very, very human story. Yeah, and I guess just to clarify, like by, I mean, historic arc or static appropriation, you mean that, you know, the story we're reading is actually going somewhere, mm. but we judge it by even our current day yeah. understanding. We're Excellent. running through 2022 standards. That's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I think our desire to read the Bible literally has caused it, you know, where we trap an image where it is and then we apply it to the modern day. Um, and we work that both ways. One is to be critical of Scripture, so new atheists and they'll be critical of it and they'll look with 2022 lenses back at an ancient people struggling to survive in a brutal world and they'll judge them as if, you know, why on earth aren't you behaving like um, you live in 2022 in the suburbs of, of New York? Yeah. Um, although that might not, that's a bit of a jungle too, maybe, I don't know. But um, And on the other side where we trap an image and then we pull it forward, 
to to justify war. Mm. You know, well, the Lord is our banner and he's going to give us victory. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not, you're not understanding the arc that this story is going somewhere and it is progressive and the image of God is getting clearer and kinder as we as we go and as we go to understand him. And certainly his expectations of us to be different to live differently in the world to what we have previously. That's mm. definitely there. And you see it from, you know, from Noah to warlords, violent nations, you know, undoubtedly it's getting better. So you've got, you know, Noah where it's like um, every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. That's the descriptor of humanity at Noah's in Noah's day. Wow. But even then after the flood, and people emerge into warlord status and then violent natures. It's nations. It's nation against nation. It's undoubtedly, in a sense, better, I think, only because that whole thought of every thought continually makes you wonder. It's always made me wonder that if without the flood or some form of divine intervention, the human race was actually set to extinct itself. Wow, yeah. And, and I, I think the, the movie Noah brings that out really good. I, I think it got a lot of stuff right. So it got so heavily criticised, sadly, by Christians again, but um, I watched it with a row of old ladies sitting behind me going, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's like, I came to see a movie, darling. You know? Anyway, but when I look at some of the imagery created by whoever did that movie, um, Creation unfolding, that creation sequence is absolutely brilliant. The image of man and woman being totally creatures of light, absolutely brilliant. But also, sadly, the meat market, which sort of intimated that the sides of beef on display in the meat market were actually from young female captives, humans, Mm. and it was cannibalism. And and we don't know that stuff. We just know what the Bible says. Mm. Every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Um, And for anyone who thinks that's impossible, don't forget that less than 100 years ago, Stalin, Pol Pot, Nazi Germany, I mean, Nazi Germany at the end was making lampshades out of human skin. And we're only, we're talking less than 100 years years ago, ago, 80 years ago, folks. So that is, that is the underbelly of humanity that no matter how progressive we think we are and enlightened we think we are that is an underbelly that has continuously surfaced throughout our history Mm. and i think is just a huge indicator of why we've got to keep returning to the creator and to our savior to find waypoints out i mean welcome to humanity yeah and so where did where does it go from there well i mean look any any typical bible story you've got to read you know, you've just got to read the arc of the story. When we talk historic arc, it's headed somewhere and sometimes it doesn't end in that book. And as we know, it hasn't even ended in one testament. So we've got all the Old Testament books and really the end of the story is only found in Christ. I mean, Jesus himself on the Emmaus Road um, saying to the disciples, you know, who only had copies of those Old Testament scriptures, all of these speak of me. Mm. You know, scripture, you know, the uh, Luke records that Jesus showed them everything that was said about him in the Psalms, the law and the prophets, you know, all the divisions of the Old Testament books. And so you've always got to keep reading to get to the end of the story. And some of that goes over, you know, several thousand years. So there's a trajectory and we see people transition. We see their understanding and clarity about the nature of God grow, you know, from tribal warrior with a, you know, where God's their tribal and their warrior is a tribal deity right through, you know, you've got Abraham. 
Abraham, and, and it was still prolific in his day. And you've got Abraham, and beyond Abraham, people were still thinking that. Mm. But Abraham was called to be a blessing to all nations. Right. You know, yeah. But it took people a long time to get that, well beyond Abraham, before that revelation really became clear. And, of course, it's meant to become clearest in the church, being a blessing to all nations. But... You know, we've got things now like Christian nationalism, yeah, right. particularly in the States, you see it, but there's attempts at it here um, in in Australia with, golly, some numb-brained ex-ministers <laughs> that will remain nameless, you know, that are trying to fire that up. And it's why Christian nationalism is so dangerous. You know, we are righteous in bombing you or doing whatever we want, saying whatever we want, because you're the bad guys and justifying it with God's on our side. And that's regression. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a recession back to where we once were. And that's why it's dangerous. And at the end of the day, I mean, look, nations, when, when it comes to wars, for example, nations have got to do what nations have got to do. And that's why we have politics. But whenever political, you know, political stuff goes religious, it gets ugly no matter what brand of religion is involved in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we've got to be so careful of that stuff. Yeah. And I guess when, you know, Jesus is our example, we really need to look at how he engaged with his world on that level. Yeah, yeah. Instead of going back to an Old Testament image of, you know, the Lord's going to go before us into battle, yeah. you come to Jesus and we've got Jesus saying, turn the other cheek and things like that. I mean, we've got to pause and think about this stuff, folks. This is Jesus himself. This is the living word. Yeah. You know, this isn't this isn't pages printed on a, on a sheet of paper. Right, This yeah. is the living word. And, uh, you know, uh, you think about Jesus living in a highly charged political environment, you know, the Roman occupation of Israel. That's That was Jesus' setting. And Jesus Christ refused to be pulled into political manoeuvre, uh, even though, you know, when the, right along and through his whole journey and right to the end, tremendous pressure to, even by his friends right at the end, if you think about uh, Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane drawing his sword, and it's like, Peter, mm. you still haven't got it. Yeah, you know, he'd said so clearly. My kingdom is not of this yeah, world, yeah. and Peter was so, still so. And we're the same. We fall into that same trap. Yeah. So I mean, I'm talking about hist- I guess an, an example of the arc of a story revealing the nature of God that can be easily missed. Could we could we look at an example of that? Maybe where the where the um, the nature the revealing of God can be easily missed if we don't follow it through to the conclusion. So if we stop early, we just read part of it. Is there an example of that? Yeah. Oh, look, there's 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 just a, a myriad of them. I think um, when I think about them, Brad Jersak brings one up in in one of his books about Hosea, the book of Hosea, Hosea, and the need to read the whole story because early in the piece, the imagery about what God asks Hosea to do, to marry a woman of prostitution. So, you know, basically I want you to go marry a prostitute and then he has a very tumultuous life because of that. Mm. Um, And, of course, the prophets in Israel in those days, very much their lives were often the example and they were very overt in their display and would do things. They were like object lessons and... And in this case, it's like God uses Hosea's whole life as an object lesson for Israel. But it starts off um, with judgments pronounced against um, Israel for their their harlotry, for their their prostitution with the gods of this world, so to speak. And um, and so they're off basically uh, in 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 God's eyes fornicating with uh, with false gods and. 
early chapters of Hosea paints this picture of the judgment that will justly come upon them. Because of that, it's in it's in their covenant, Deuteronomy 28, the curses pronounced there um, on idolatry. And and basically Hosea is like, oh, my goodness, the storm clouds are mm. brewing. You deserve to be invaded. You deserve for your children to be dashed against a rock. All kind, all the, you know, I can't think of it. I haven't read it for a little while, but the exact imagery. But he just paints this diabolical picture of... Here's how bad your sins are. This mm. is what you've done. So he lists them. And then he says, and this is what the law says you deserve. Yeah. You deserve an invading army to come in and tear you a new one, basically. And so it's like, right, that's that's just terrible. I mean, how do you equate that to a God of love? To a, It just seems like God is coming in with an iron fist and yeah. is going to destroy them. But then as it progresses you realise that God is using uh, Hosea and his, his wife, Gomer, he's using them as this object lesson. And at one point where Gomer even gets, you know, she runs away, she she sort of has other fellas and other people and is immoral to her own husband, unfaithful to him again and again, and eventually she bolts and she ends up in slavery and she ends up back in the slave market and it's interesting if you do a little bit of research, she's actually sold for less than what a slave was valued in those days. So she's obviously been used up and she probably would have gone back into sexual slavery. And God tells Hosea to go and buy her back and to love her again. And then basically that becomes the object lesson. Even though you deserve, like think about it, you know, he married her took her out of a life of prostitution. She did the wrong thing, eventually bolts, ends up paying a very high price and consequence for her decisions. He had every right to write her off. He had every right to be angry. He had every right to whatever, you know. But he doesn't. God says, no, I want you to display my heart that in spite of all your adulteries, etc., um, I will still have you back. Mm. And so he buys her back. And it's an example to Israel. So in spite of everything you've deserved, this is how I will treat you. I will have you back once again mm. because I love you. Wow. Now that's the gospel. You know? yeah. and, uh, and the problem is, though, if you only read the first few chapters right. and you get disgusted by that, you miss what the book's actually teaching. The book's not teaching that because of because it's really easy to read it and go, wow, because they're evil, God really is going to punish yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's actually the exact opposite of that. The book lands with redemption. Mm. And then you've got people cherry picking a verse out of the first part of it. Very easy. Let to. alone just you get cherry a, picking a chapter, yeah. cherry picking a verse. You get a very intelligent person like Stephen Hawkins or whoever who will cherry pick it with no understanding of scripture, how to read it, no understanding of historic arc or of static appropriation or any other concept you can think of that's to do with biblical hermeneutics. And the problem is they have ammunition because often that's exactly well, what Christians church leaders yeah, have done yeah, yeah, and yeah. pastors have done. And um, and so there's a reason. I mean, the, as Ben pointed out in recent episodes, you know, the the new atheism and the, the new apologetic that we need to actually address, the question we need to address is, is God, 
you know, a horrible uh, God. It's not, it does God exist? Mm. The question is, if he does exist, what kind of God is he? Yeah, is he a moral monster? A moral monster. Yeah. So, so I guess knowing we're only human, uh, you know, with plenty of our own issues <laughs> and trying to walk with our creator God, will we ever make it? Will we ever get it right? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether we ever make it outside of seeing Jesus face to face. I mean, 1 John 3, 2 when we see him, we'll be made like him. There'll be a transformational experience of some kind um, or a completion of a transformational experience. I mean, who knows? It's There's plenty of scripture around that. On this this side of earth, I, I love what Paul says, and Paul simply says, I'm sure it's Paul, I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he'll be faithful to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. So... The whole key in all of this is really knowing the resurrected Christ, knowing the living Christ. We can argue the Bible till we're blue in the face and we will always have different opinions. There will always be conflicting doctrines, etc. There will be as many conflicting doctrines as there are people on the planet just about trying to follow God. But ultimately, meeting the resurrected Christ answers a lot of those questions. And I think that's why in the New Testament we find very little in the way of established creeds. The established creeds all revolved around the living Christ, nothing else. And as we've said in earlier episodes, for the largest, by far the largest block of church history, the only Bible people had was Jesus and the Holy Spirit himself, you know, and they sang hymns that were theologically posed and they heard sermons, but actually their daily walk was around them being responsive and obedient to what the living Christ was doing in their heart and what the Holy Spirit was prompting them to do. And so we have the benefit now of Scripture as well, um, and that should only ever affirm the Jesus we know. Very good. And give us the responsibility to have not just a strong theology, but a strong anthropology. Yeah, let's realise we're all human. Hi, I'm Carly. I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode, but more than that, I hope it makes you think. We really want you to come back next week because we'll be here again with even more good stuff. And in the meantime, why don't you go and nag your teenager to clean his teeth? See you next time. Have an awesome week.